started a minute or so late. Technical difficulties beyond the control once again. But that's okay. Everything is under control now. You're listening, to, you're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, MovieSharkDeBlur.com. And I am so thrilled to have, as a new partner in crime today, my friend Kit Bowen, TheMovieKit.com. Hi. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Thank I'm you. I'm very excited. And when everybody watches the video, yes, we are playing with, in honor of the world premiere of Inside Out today. Yes. We aren't there, but we're celebrating it here. Yes, yes, as well as well we should. As well as well we should. And here it's a fantastic film. It is beyond incredible. A lot of new technology made this film possible. A new technique called geometry, geometry light, hmm. which hopefully I'll be talking about next week. Okay. So you can listen to that, or you can come next week too when Greg's <laughs> back. Um, but yes, we are playing with stress balls. We have this is anger. Anger, <laughs> anger, my favorite. Lewis Black, voicing the uh, the anger emotion in the, in this film. He and I perfect. I, he is perfect. I mean, I did a one on one with him yesterday, and he is the king of sarcasm. Mm, but it's in, it's endearing sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's wonderful. But you know, once you guys see the movie, you will find out what all of these cool t scented pens for Ooh. the emotions. Ah. Um, this is the anger scented pen that allegedly smells like big red. So if you want to find out, you can. <laughs> you know, um, it's like a mood ring. Remember mood rings? Yes, I still have one. Do you? I have mine from 1960 something. <laughs> I know it's frightening, yeah. isn't it? Let's see. So it's supposed to smell here? I don't know. Oh yeah, it smells like cinnamon. Oh, it's actually, actually the right thing there. Cinnamon's one of my favorites, anyway. Oh, uh. smell. See. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. Okay, I think my pen may disappear <laughs> today and go home with Kit. Um, but big doings today. We've got calling in at 11.15 a fabulous young writer-director, Oliver Thompson, who Kit has seen the film also. I saw it, and I've already had the pleasure of talking to Oliver and part of the, the cast and crew. Um, welcome to Happiness. It just had its world premiere at Dances with Films, and... To say it's whimsical, quirky, and just amazingly good. Yeah, very good. I was I was surprised by how you know endearing it was, and just such a great cast too. It's amazing. All these people were in it. I mean, you've got Molly Quinn, who's also a, a producer. Molly, everybody knows from Castle. Nick Offerman, Kyle Gallner. Kyle is he's just tearing things up. He's also in a film that's going to be at Elliott Film Festival uh, later this week. Uh, Bank of Robbers, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. No, I have not seen that one. There was no screener available. But we won't get into that. No, no, no. Just just check Debbie's uh, Facebook if you're a friend of Debbie. <laughs> you'll, you'll get the whole scoop on the LA Film Festival. <laughs> but in addition to Oliver joining us, um, a, a good friend of Behind the Lens, a friend of mine, Gretchen McCourt, Vice President of Programming with Arclight, is going to join us at 1130, and she's going to talk about this month's Arclight Slamdance Cinema Club, which is now a monthly thing. Arclight has partnered with Slamdance. And uh, two f and on a s the second Sunday and Monday of the month in Arclight in Hollywood, and they're hoping to expand it. I'm hoping maybe she has word about where, they where and when they might be expanding the program. Films that, that played in Slamdance, a short and a feature each night, will really get to screen on a big screen. Yeah, that's so nice, you know? I mean, filmmakers don't always get that opportunity, you know? As we know, we don't even get that opportunity <laughs> when we're screening films. That's true. <laughs> that's very true. But we had some really great films open this weekend. 
We did. One of them is nationwide already. The other one, um, it only opened in 450 theaters. It's going out to, I think, 1,085 this coming week. And then we'll see where it goes from there. So as we talk about them today, they are Insidious 3 and then a truly brilliant cinematic journey that matches Brian Wilson's own musical journey, yep. Love and Mercy, directed by Bill Polad, written by Oren Moverman. It is... And John Cusack and Paul Dano give the performances of their careers. I think so. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, it's a little early to tell, but there could be some Oscar consideration. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But we're going to talk about that a little later. Right now, let's start with, okay, a favorite. A fa- both, the, actually, these films, we like all the films we're talking about today. Yes. Yes, So this is, and it was not pre-planned that we liked all of them, so. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Insidious 3. Which, don't panic people. If you haven't seen one or two, you can see three. If you've seen one or two, still see three. It makes sense no matter how you are introduced to the franchise. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a prequel of sorts. But it's also, it's very much a standalone film. Yes. So you don't need to see the other two to understand the prequel. Similarly, you don't, if you haven't seen the other two, the prequel just buttress you up even more. Yeah. For sure. So, but I, this is, Lee Wanell makes his directorial debut, debut. Lee, uh, actually, together with James Wan, started the franchise. Lee is responsible for creating these great characters that we have come to know, including the, the delightful supernatural The Further. Ah, I never saw that. Well, no, that's where that's what it's called, the place they oh, go to. Oh, that's yes. the place they go to, right. The further. The further. And Lee Winnell also is one of the stars of the film. Yes, he is. Yes. Yes, because, you know, every every psychic and, you know, needs needs sidekicks. and <laughs> These guys are great. And the sidekicks, uh, the psychic here who has been in all three, fran- all three films is Lynn Shay, um, who she is really the star of the film, this go-round. Yep. Uh, and Lee, along with Angus Sampson, and they've been friends uh, for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. They play best friends and partners in crime. Like uh, Ghostbuster-type guys. Yes. And uh, we find out how they all hooked up in this in uh, Insidious Chapter 3, how Lynn Shay's character, Elise Rainier, hooks up with Tucker and Specs. Yes who always provide com- comedy in all three of the films. Yeah, and it basically sets up the first Insidious as well. You kind of, they they, they really do a nice job with this, uh, incorporating, you know, the things that we've already come to know from the from the franchise, like mm-hmm. the, you know, scary witch lady and, you know, all those kind of stuff. So there's, there's all this stuff <laughs> that like comes out. like this scary witch lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was... You know, it's the most jarring part of the movie, and it's happened now all, in all three, is that beginning... Uh, you know when they when they show the title sequence and it goes oh like that the insidious <laughs> films the titles the opening titles yes. Saul Bass would be just reveling Saul Bass one of the greatest title guys in the biz in history of oh film. yeah and uh, he would he would be if he were here today he'd be reveling at the the and even the end titles yeah and the end titles are totally different than the beginning titles. And it's you won't often hear us talk about the titles of a film, but titles are very important. They can be. They can be. David Finchner is very good with titles, I think. Very much so. And, of course, the new Spy with Jason Statham and Melissa McCarthy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. 
That's another one. You guys have all have to check this out. Spy is one of the best comedies I've seen in a long, long time. I think I think we can easily say it's the best comedy of the year right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it definitely will yeah. be. And it, it won the box office, so yeah. didn't surprise me at all. No, not at all. And of course, that's one you have. The opening titles are great, but stay through the end titles because you get. I think Greg and I were talking about this last week that you actually get another whole chapter of the film in the titles. Yes, you do. It's fantastic. <laughs> But when it comes to Insidious, one of the driving forces behind it is producer Jason Blum. I, Jason, I am privileged to say as a friend, I absolutely adore him. I will go to the ends of the earth for him. Um, he supports independent filmmakers. He has a business plan that really show, shows everybody what you can do on limited budgets, turn them around, and... Uh, He's very good at spotting talent. He's very good at giving new talent entrees. Right. And what he did here um, that we'll talk about, because although Lee Winnell had written the two prior Insidious films, he has not, he had never directed. Which and, I find amazing that he hasn't. Doesn't he? Because he did all the Saw movies too, right? Yeah. Or did, yeah. He wrote that, but did not, you know, had not directed anything. And it was time. Jason saw it was time. Lee really wanted to do it. And, of course, James Wan, well, he was off doing He was off doing Fast and Furious. Yeah. Furious 7, I think that was that. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a chance, sat down for an exclusive with Jason and asked him about, did he have any trepidation about bringing Lee in to direct? And here's what he said. Everyone wanted James to direct. And James... uh... He defected. He had a good excuse, Fast and Furious. We, we allowed him to do that little movie. We, we allowed him to do it. And once he did that, Lee kind of put his head on the ring. And, and there was, it's not like we thought we went to anyone else. Or once he, once he expressed a desire to do mm-hmm. it, we said yes. But I mean, anytime you have a friend the director, you're nervous. Like, it could go really wrong. And it was super smooth. Did a great job. He... Uh, we were on budget, on schedule, like all that stuff was great. And uh, and he, he, he was like, he was on the second movie, he was ready to direct. You know, he was like giving notes like a director, not a oh. writer. So so he was really like, you could see him, he was ready to get in that chair. And uh, and we were all worried about it before, but then he just, he did, he did, he did such a great job. He's great with actors, I think, because he's an actor. Mm-hmm. So I think that really helped. Well, and he knows the, the story and the he entire the legacy. Yeah. yeah. So well, and uh, yeah, you really run into problems. I think if you're doing a franchise and then you give it to a new creator, mm-hmm. it's it's great to just have a single voice all the way through. So uh, it turned out great, but but to say we weren't trepidatious beforehand would not be true. Yeah, we were definitely nervous about. It. And you know, but I think as we all now know, there was no reason to be nervous, right? Because Lee did an amazing job. But, of course, one of the complications that always comes in when you're creating an origin story and you're backpedaling is how do you make it fresh and original? How do you create it without without ruining right. the franchise you have? And, uh, I, of course, I asked Jason about this. Yeah, we run into um, the age of aging actors, <laughs> making them look younger when they're actually older. So that's a big one. Um, and also, you want to make sure that the movie's accessible to 
people who haven't seen the first two movies. Mm-hmm. But also, you want to make sure the movie makes sense to people who have seen the first two movies. So you got to kind of walk that line with the storytelling, which uh, which were the parameters that Lee had to work within. Which I think he, you know, he kind of he thread the needle really well doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's. You can watch it standalone, like you were saying, but but the one you know the the, the fans of the series will not be disappointed because there's no. a lot of you know inside stuff that they'll pick up. They will be ex- and every and a lot t- of jumps and turns and ugh. every time you Just see it, it like you see something else. Yeah, you know that's one of the beauties, and I think that Lee has done it more than James Wan did in the first two. There's really a lot more surprises here, and like you said, twists and turns. Yeah, and you don't expect them. Yeah. Exactly, and but I that just, one scene where she gets up off and ugh. yeah, there's we, some sounds in there that you're gonna not ever forget in your head. <laughs> well, and that's one of the that's one of the great things about a Blumhouse film, is that the attention to detail, mm-hmm. there no stone is unturned, no stone is unturned. Yeah, absolutely. You know everything from sound design to production design, and you know. A new cinematographer this time, which, of course, um, you know, John Leonetti had done the other films, and he was not available, and Lee brought in his own guy this time, and just absolutely stunning in terms of color and saturation. Yes. Ah, but before we can, before we do talk more about Insidious, we have the wonderful Oliver Thompson is here, is he not? I am. Good morning. Hi, Oliver. It's Debbie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I mean, it's been so long since we spoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, a whole four days or something? I think maybe, maybe less. I don't remember. I... <laughs> and, and, of course, you know, I have a, uh, a new partner in crime here today, Kit Bowen, the movie Kit.com. Hello. How are you? Hi. And Good. Kit has also seen the beautiful Welcome to Happiness. Really, oh, really liked it. Yeah. So, for, so for those that that have not did not have the good fortune to see Welcome to Happiness at Dances with Films uh, this past week, give us a brief summary of what the film is about. Okay, uh, the movie it's about a um, a children's book author. He has this uh, secret door in his closet. It's a portal to something. Um, uh, he doesn't actually know what. But strangers, they show up uh, at, at his door, and um, he shepherds them through. He actually has to perform his little tests on them, and if they if they pass, they get to they get to go through. And um, ultimately, when he does discover where the where the door leads, uh, he becomes a bit jealous and, and envious, and it leads them on a bit of a downward spiral. So. That's it in a nutshell, I think. Is that you okay? You've seen the movie. Yeah. Does that sound sound right? Yeah. There's a lot of other layers going on there. There is a lot of other stuff. It's always the hardest part. Yeah. Get the whole thing into one little soundbite, but that's the best I got. Well, now, Kit and I were talking about this earlier, about the, and you and I talked about this last week, you know, the amazing, the cast, it's an embarrassment of riches. The cast. Oh, yeah, we, get, we got so lucky with such an amazing cast. Yeah, they're awesome. And now, how did all of these people come to you? I mean, we see Molly Quinn stepping up. She's also producing, besides starring, besides being one of the stars of the film, yeah. um, which is a new jump for Molly. Everybody knows her from Castle. Right. 
uh, with yeah. Nick Offerman, the beloved, talented. Yes. And you should see Kit's face right now because she <laughs> loves Nick Offerman. You know. I do, oh, and he's, he's a, like, who doesn't? Yeah, he's. he's I think. I mean, is he just one of these generous actors? Because I mean, he literally will do. I mean, I think if the script really speaks to him, he will just do just about anything. Um, yeah. Well, I think what it is is I think it is about the the script. You know, speaking to him. He told me that. Um, you know, he's from a, 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 a smaller theater mm-hmm. uh, world in Chicago uh, where he said, you know, to, to, to quote him, this size sandbox is sort of the size sandbox he likes to play in. So <laughs> a smaller movie like ours was, was, was up his alley, I think maybe even more than some of the bigger stuff just in terms of comfort level and enjoyment, I think. And, and at the end of the day, you know, he just responded to the script and the material and, and had a lot of nice things to say about it, so... We were really fortunate to get him, and, and in terms of how we, you know, were able to get, get some of these great actors, uh, you know, uh, the credit in, in a lot of respects has to go to our producer, uh, Bay Darius, who um, had formed friendships with some of some of the actors who, um, you know, had, had also become, like you said, co-producers um, in the case of Kyle Gellner and, and Molly Quinn. And uh, from there, it's a matter of... Who knows who, and who can sort of put in a a, a a good word and send the script out, while also having our um, our awesome casting director Lauren Gray sort of make a, a more official uh, reach out, and then at the end of the day, they just have to respond to the material and, and, and want to do it because it's certainly not a payday for <laughs> for anyone <laughs> on a small film, independent film. So, yeah, I think it's all those factors. Now, how what made this the story for you to not only write? but to step up and direct for a first feature? Um, well, I think the, the, the story, you know, I've been asked a lot where the story came, kind of came from, and I wish I had, like, a great Genesis light bulb moment. It really, I don't really remember anything like that. I think it's one of those that just did kind of kind of happened, but I, I would have to say it's sort of, you know, the, the film, you've, you've seen it, you know, and it does have a lot of, spiritual themes, it has a lot of uh, mystical themes, uh, maybe is the way to describe it, and uh, there's a lot of, um, I guess, ruminations on, on big big picture ideas, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the big questions in a lot of ways are kind of uh, uh, part of the, the, the fabric of the movie, and I think that's just something that's always been um, just instilled in me through uh, family and friends, the, the people I choose to surround myself with, are the kind of people that, you know, for maybe risk of sounding pretentious, like to, we like a good, deep conversation, <laughs> you know, at, at, oh, with cups of coffee at 4 o'clock in the morning, just talking about everything, you know, and I think that's just it's just in me. And so when it came time to write this, this movie, that was just kind of where it went. But uh, I don't really know it's not a great moment where I, uh, an, an aha moment. I wish I had. You must have. Uh, you must have had a small door somewhere in your childhood that you uh, looked <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah, right. Looked at uh, and said, "Hmm," because you know, I mean, as a kid, your imagination—I mean, I had stuff definitely in my closet. Oh, <laughs> right. This could no, transport so, someone, me. Someone said that to me the other day. Um, they said, "You know, it—it it reminds them like seeing the film. It's like a, a big picture version of." Um, all these little things like you have in your apartment or your house that you don't really know what they do, you know? <laughs> right. And they, they you know, kind of like plays with that a little bit in, in some way. I thought that was really cool. 
<laughs> now, I, I've got to ask you about your cinematography is just at Justin Talley. I mean, the, cinematog the cinematography just stuns. We talked about use of color the other day, the saturation. And, of course, I have to give a shout-out to Paget Brewster because she and I are both in love with that perfect color lipstick in the final scene of the movie. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she'll be Justin happy. Justin is an, an amazing cinematographer. Another person and the team we're just so lucky to have. And, uh, we worked a lot. We talked a lot. There was a, a lot of preparation went into the movie. A lot of, uh, a lot of storyboarding. A lot of, a lot, a lot of more, more uh, four o'clock in the morning coffee uh, <laughs> discussions about the about the look of the film. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad it paid off. Thank you. That's, that's, Dare, with all this mention of coffee, dare we ask what the coffee budget was on the film? <laughs> you know, you have to ask Bay about that. And the funny thing is, I'm sitting here with a big cup of tea. I, I keep talking about it. And the thing, I don't even really drink coffee. I'm a tea drinker. I'm, I'm Welsh, <laughs> so I was raised on tea. So, there's, I've, I'm, so I guess they're all drinking coffee. I'm drinking tea the whole time. But whatever, some caffeinated <laughs> beverage in front of us. Uh. <laughs> I do also see a little bit of... Uh of Charlie Kaufman in there. I mean, I, it did remind me a tad of, of being John Malkovich. And is, is Charlie Kaufman in, is someone you ad, admire? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think he's incredible. Um, someone uh, had, had also uh, just, they, they weren't necessarily saying that the film reminded them, or it was, but they just said they felt yes. how they felt watching Eternal Sunshine with Spotless Mind. Yes. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and I, yeah, I think uh, he's incredible. Yeah, and, and certainly people... Uh, wrote movies with little doors in them that go to weird places. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying, I want this door. Yeah. Kit wants the door. Yeah, I, I need to. Maybe I'll be the one who comes up next. And my my uh, my rock would be blue. I think too. I think. Rock would yeah, be blue. Your, yeah, your rock would be blue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know what mine like would a dark be. Dark blue. A dark blue. Yeah. She's getting very color specific here about rocks. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Look what you've done to her. That's amazing. <laughs> so now, Oliver, for a film like this, how do you go about, for other first-time filmmakers out there, and of course you've now embarked on the festival circuit, how do you come up with a game plan for financing a film like this, which is, it's quirky, it's whimsical, it is not a mainstream story by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. How do you find financing for that and then start on this festival journey that you've now embarked on, of course, I still think that A24 or somebody needs to be looking at this film and just get, buy it in a distribution deal now. Immediately. <laughs> so, yeah, I won't argue with that. <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of, you know, it's a good question, and there are a lot of, um, you know, there's different kinds of movies present different kinds of I think financing opportunities. I mean, that you know, that's not a part of the business I, I know a ton about. But I tell you what, what I do know from, personally from our film is that the only way to do it, and for us, I think, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say the only way, but the way that did end up working was um, through a, a, a lot of smaller um, contributions uh, and investments was how we how we did it. So rather than um, trying to find one person with really deep pockets. Mm -hmm. We sort of thought, you know, I mean, well, I know, you know, I bet you this person could give $5,000. Maybe this person could give ten. And we ended up having some people that gave as much as, you know, I, I think anywhere. But I think we have investments of five grand and investments of much more than that. So, I, I, you know, uh, it, it, and if you look at the executive producer list at the end of the film, it's 
quite long. And so that's what we did. We almost took that idea of a Kickstarter and that this whole crowdfunding phenomenon that's you know, so big now and just said, okay, but rather than you're just giving us the money, you're just donating the money, what if we took that same idea? But it truly is still an investment. You right. will hopefully mm. make some, some return on this. So that was how we did it. And that allowed us to um, sort of have a, uh, the control that you know that you maybe don't have when there is one person funding things because obviously at the end of the day they 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 can really call the shots whereas this was more a lot of people who just believed in it and wanted to um, wanted to see it happen and were willing to give what they could it, it worked out really mm-hmm. well for us so now how do you decide uh you know to embark on you know the festival circuit because with all the film festivals out there there must be over six thousand of them around the world right now Mm-hmm. How do you decide where to to even submit the film? Yeah, um, I think that that there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, some of them are just timing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just some festivals that it, it, it's, it's such a it's been a, such a learning experience for both myself and Bay, um, my producer. We you know we've just realized you have. There's all these great festivals, and there's something unique and, and exciting and, and cool about about all of them, you know. And um, and I think that it, it comes down to timing. There's certain festivals that you know, if you're not a premiere, um, you're just probably not going to play. If you're a feature film, they're looking for premieres and premieres only. And so, it's like if you miss the deadline on that, you're sort of uh, you know out of luck. And then it's like, do you want to wait a whole another year because it's like then you, you're faced with the dilemma of, okay, well, now I'm going to wait a whole other year to try to get into this festival because I need to be a premiere. And then what if we don't get in next year? And now we've just sat on the film for, I mean, there's just all these, you know, pros and cons to, to consider. And it's kind of a, it's, it's fun and, and it's exciting, especially when you get in. <laughs> um, but it can also be a bit of a nightmare to sort of navigate these waters. There is just a lot, a lot to it. And then at the end of the day, you know, uh, things like, uh, money and they're they're expensive uh, they're you know so it's just trying to figure out okay we think we took a good fit here we you read about them you research them and try to find the ones you think you're a good good fit for hopefully the timing is right then you submit and cross your fingers and hopefully they feel the same way sometimes we've been fortunate and other times not <laughs> yeah so what festivals do you have next on the horizon now that dances with films is over um this weekend uh we're going to oklahoma city for a festival called uh, Dead Center Fest, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, that that should be really cool. I'm really looking forward to that. They only, I think they only accept like eight features or something. So it's a really wow. it's, a, it's a it's a small festival with a lot of attention given to each film. So we're really really looking forward to that. And uh, we screened um, two times at that one. So uh, I don't exactly know the you know the the date. I know it's next week at that Now, how much do you like it, Oliver? When Because Dance with Films, you only get one screening. So there's no, people don't have a chance to see it and then through word of mouth build up an audience for you the second go around. Do you prefer having multiple screenings in a festival? Um, you know, I think, well, to be honest with you, you know, this Oklahoma will be the, first time we've had that opportunity to have multiple screenings and and i'm i'm uh i'm i am looking forward to it i think it you know it's so funny it's it's a a daunting thing and it's also 
liberating in its own way. I mean, what we really learned with this is, you know, Bay and I, uh, we, we both come from a, a music background. We both played in bands. That's actually how we met each other, is, ah. is playing in a band together. And um, we we really found, you know, right away, as soon as we were, we played Newport Beach, uh, in, in, I guess that was the beginning of April. And we're down there in Newport Beach, and we've got our, our postcards and our business cards and our flyers, and we're pounding the pavement and, and just, you know, talking, you know, and we realized this is just like being in a band again, promoting a gig, <laughs> you know, you're on tour and you're got this club or whatever you're playing tonight and you desperately want there to be an audience, <laughs> you, you know, so you're just going out trying to drum up some business for your for your band, you know, kind of feels like that. The only difference is Nick Offerman uh, and Keegan-Michael Key were never in any of our bands. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it made it a little bit easier of a sell. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, so I guess there's some there's some there's uh, something nice about having a second screening where it's like, okay, cool, some of the pressure's off, like, uh, it's not all resting on this one, the one thing, and then the other part, oh, geez, we've got, we've got two theaters to fill about, not just one. So I think that's good enough. Well, I don't think you're going to have any trouble filling a second showing of this one, Mm-mm. because it is just... I think you'll get a distribution deal. Yeah. Well, thank you guys very much. That's yeah. Very kind. Well, you have our votes, you know, I've thrown it out there, I told you that the other day, A24, this is right in their ballpark. Cool, yeah, I think so too. What an amazing company! They need to be looking at this. Fox Searchlight should be looking at this. Another amazing company, yeah. I love, yeah. So I mean, agreed. Yes, yes. We'll get this thing out here. These are these are the films that are right in their bailiwick. And then when you get a distribution deal, then you can come back on the show and you can tell us all about the nightmares and the nightmare and horrors of doing a distribution deal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right, I'm sure. Little learning curves. You're learning right now. Well, Oliver, thank you so, so much for joining us today. My and pleasure. An absolute joy talking to you again. You will stay in touch. I know you will. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, say hi to the whole gang. Will do. And yeah. I look forward to seeing everybody working again. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot, All Oliver. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, have a good day. Bye. And we're going to take a short break and be right back. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back with Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, MovieSharkDeBlore.com, and the wonderfully charming kit bowen the movie kit.com is playing cinematic cohort today while while greg is off being a good dutiful son so his mom out helping his mom out so and i am just so excited to have kit here because we always have so much fun doing interviews and roundtables and and we love movies we love movies we really do yeah and that's, of course, that's the bottom line. <laughs> all, and all the talent love us. Yes. Well, <laughs> they know Debbie a lot better than they know me, but I'm getting there. I'm getting. Well, we have our next special guest today. Is this my friend Gretchen McCourt? Hi, Debbie. It is. How are you? Hi, Gretchen. Uh, you also have here today the wonderful Kit Bowen, the moviekit.com, joining me today. Hello. Nice to meet you. Hi, Kit. Nice to meet you. So we are here to talk about 
one of my favorite things, the Arclight Slam Dance Cinema Club. Yes, we are in our, gosh, I can't believe it already, our fourth month, and you have become, yeah, part of our family. Oh, and it's a family I love being part <laughs> of. I mean, I love Slam Dance. I love Arclight. Um, by the way, they did trim the trees in Culver City. so the- I just heard that. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? <laughs> the, the, you can see the theater. We can see the restaurants. It's all good. This has been, for those who, who have not heard the bemoaning over the weeks, um, we have had a problem in Culver City with the Public Works Department not trimming the trees, so you couldn't even see the Arclight sign after its grand opening uh, May 1st with Avengers. But everybody can now see it, and it looks blue and beautiful and gorgeous and electrifying. Yes, and lots of good movies for everyone to come in and see. Yes. In a beautiful, beautiful theater. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the Culver City is a great market, and they have embraced Arclight. It's been fantastic. I mean, every time I've been over there, it's packed. Um, The cafe, the food cafe with the new seating format and all is packed. They love the bar. They they actually love these specialty drinks that the bar is coming up with. Yes, you know, they kid- had a lot of fun with the specialty drinks, and we have a lot more coming this summer. There's, uh, yeah, the movies are are lending a lot of fun to me coming up with drink specials. Yeah, yeah I know. Kit has drinking. Uh, I don't. Yes, yes. <laughs> Kit and I both love. We both love drinking, but yeah, she does, hasn't heard about all the cool drinks like the Black Widow and all the the four Avenger themed drinks that have been going on. Her eyes are lighting up here. You know, you'll have to watch the video because she yeah, she looks like a kid in a candy store <laughs> as I'm mentioning this. But now, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But now, for those that don't know about the ArcLight Slam Dance Club, I mean, I've talked about it enough, but give us a rundown on on how this merger between ArcLight and Slam Dance came to be for this great cinema club. Yeah. So um, last fall, I was introduced to Peter Baxter, who started Slam Dance, and we were brainstorming just about you know what we both really want for our companies and for filmmakers and for movie lovers. And so we came up with a plan to bring the Slam Dance, um, the films that are part of the Slam Dance Festival, back again um, into the Arclight to show to the public. And so we do a, ser- a monthly series. We show two different films a month. And we started in March, and they've all the all of these films have come out of Slam Dance's Film Festival. Or we have a we have a fun surprise coming up in September that uh, that we'll announce soon. That are we're pulling some films from the archives of Slam Dance, but it's um, it's really about getting these great stories to the public, and a lot of them are new filmmakers. And some of them are stories that, you know, I don't know if our movie-going guests would be able to see otherwise. So that's one of our goals. That's one of Slam Dance's goals, to get exposure for the films. Uh, filmmakers is another, is another goal. And so it's just been fantastic. We started in March. We've had sold-out shows um, through March, April, May. We have two really great films coming up next week, uh, Diamond Tongues, which is a narrative, and then Huntington's Dance, which is – just a, an amazing, moving documentary um, that are that were both at the festival, both award winners, and they are showing at ArcLight next week. And what's really cool too is you you also show a short film before each feature. 
Yeah, some of the films um, we're able to pair with a short, um, which is again great. They're just, you know, there's not a not a lot of availability to see shorts on the big screen, mm-hmm. and so the response has been fantastic from the guests, just saying, you know, I don't know where else I'd re- I'd ever be able to see that, and you know, that just warms our hearts when they know that they can come to ArcLight, they can see, you know, look on Slamdance website, our website, and find these unique films that they may otherwise not see. And what's great at ArcLight is even with the Cinema Club commercial free there no there do you have no, no trailer no ads no no slides popping up and the for the Cinema Club there aren't even any trailers Right, there's no trailers, and so, but what we have put in place for the Cinema Club are Q&As with the filmmakers, panel discussions, you know, we're going to, with Huntington's Dance and the topic being, you know, Huntington's Disease, we have um, just a really interesting panel that we've put together for a discussion after the film. So we're always thank you. Thank you for warning something. me. <laughs> what? Yeah. Thank you for warning me. Yes. So uh, and Debbie <laughs> is often our moderator when it works with her schedule. So it's fantastic. But um, yeah, the you know, having and you know having those discussions, the Q and As. I mean, that's that's an, uh, that's a look inside these films that you know is just priceless. And you know, especially we we get a lot of filmmakers, first-time, you know, students um, in the Hollywood area. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we've heard from them that the education they're getting from these panels and Q&As is just priceless as well. Yeah, no, and, you know, and that's one thing that I always love with a QA and a is, and what I like to do here on Behind the Lens is really take people behind the lens Mm -hmm. and let them find out what's happening, how this is being made, what are the considerations a filmmaker has. I know we had the cinematographer uh, the other week for uh, a couple of the films. We've had cinematographers Mm -hmm. there already. And it's very rare you get to have cinematographers. And I know people in the audience during the Q&As were really responding to having them there because even they realize... You know, this is a big deal that we get to find out how they decided this film was supposed to look. Well, they'll talk about, you know, they'll talk about those. They'll talk about other kind of behind-the-scenes roles that you just don't hear about. They talk about financing. How are they, you know, how Mm -hmm. are people making these movies? They talk about, you know, how they, you know, how they're entering into festivals, how they're making those decisions. It's, you know, and and that was, that was really one of Peter and Slamdance's goals is, how do we just continue to build new, you know, new filmmakers? And you know, it doesn't. We don't want it to be overwhelming, and we don't want people to think, "Oh, this is a world I can never enter into." And I think these types of events really, really help that. Yeah, and more exposure too. I mean, you know, something like Huntington's Dance. You know, it mm-hmm. may not have gotten any kind of <clears throat> notice if it doesn't get this kind of exposure, maybe for an Oscar consideration or whatnot. Right, and you can shine a light on a cause like that and right. get more interest. It's Yeah, that's, that's very, very valuable. Yeah, because so often, especially with a film like Huntington's Dance, you know, everybody looks at these kind of films. They, they fall under the radar because, like, disease of the week. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is so not the case. So, granted, some films do fall into that category, but this is certainly not one of them. Yeah, and there's a very um, rigorous process of of choosing the films and the mix of films. We have 
you know, we have uh, a narrative that's, you know, that's a kind of a, a dramedy, and then we'll have the documentary on Huntington's. We have, you know, a really fun horror film coming in July. Mm-hmm. We've done, you know, we did the Don, Dennis Rodman doc. We did Jake the Snake. So really a lot of care is, go, is, is going in to make sure that the mix of film is always interesting, that we're, you know, we're showing a lot of different genres, and that it stays it stays engaging for for everybody because it is a series where, you know you can look and see each month something new and that's what we hope we're you know we're building is that everyone knows they can say oh I wonder what's going on with the with the slam with the slam dance festival and and the the movie club and really look and see um, something new months ahead so we're trying to get these titles set and and on the website so everyone can you know can make their plans and see the nice mix we have now do you have any input into the films uh, that are selected for Cinema Club, or does that all fall on Peter? Um, the majority of it falls on Peter. For for where I where we work together is really that mix mm-hmm. of you know we've got these great docs, we've got these that are more you know music, we've got a horror film, and so how do we plan that out mm-hmm. um, more than mix? But uh, Peter gets the the great fun and the uh, the big job of of actually choosing. <laughs> and gosh, I don't know how he does it because. I went to. I was at the festival for just two days, and I probably saw eight movies that I loved. And yeah, to be able to pick. But we're, you know, we've got this is ongoing, so we want to. Uh, we'll, they'll all get shown at some point. So now I have to ask you because Annie didn't. Our our beloved publicist didn't give me a final answer on this. Are we doing a ticket giveaway this week? Um, you know what? We're going to have to give that answer to Annie, but I believe we are, and we can always do a do a fun ticket giveaway for your listeners for for the for the Cinema Club. But Annie has all of those details. Oh, okay. Well, great. But we love having uh, we love having your listeners there, and and you know, and what's been so nice and fulfilling is word of mouth has mm-hmm. just been mm-hmm. uh, just an unplanned treasure with this. If people saying I was here last week. Our last month, and um, you know, a friend brought me. I brought a couple friends because it's just so unique and so fun. So word of mouth has been, yeah, just been a, a great, uh, unexpected little little bonus for us. Well, is, wh- that's very fulfilling. Yeah. Well, let me put it out there to our listeners that you know, while we get details from the publicist later on, anybody that is interested in, you know tickets for cinema club they can email to behindthelensradio.com and uh then we'll get back to you as to what the parameters are and things like that yeah oh yeah behind the lens radio i don't even know my own email <laughs> behind the lens radio at aol.com thank you kit sure <laughs> and when they come ask your listeners when they when they do get the tickets and they come introduce themselves we love to meet every people and find out how you know how they learned about it and and why they're there we love to we love to get to know them personally so to find you or me or annie and say hello well, we will certainly do that, and you know I will emphasize to everybody that they do that. Okay, great. <laughs> Gretchen, thank you so, so thank much. You, and we look forward, and I will see you at, uh, at uh, Cinema Club, and then next month w- you'll be back on with Peter. And we'll talk again, yeah, for our July titles. And, Kit, it was nice meeting you. You thank too. You. I'm looking forward to this. Good. We'll see you later. Thanks, Gretchen. Right. Okay, bye-bye. 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 Gretchen McCord, Arclight Vice President of Programming. We're going to take another quick break. Quick break, boys. And then we'll be right back.
Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. And we are back. This is Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, MovieSharkDeblore.com, and Kid Bowen, TheMovieKit.com. We were just talking with Gretchen McCord, Vice President of Programming for Arclight, about the Arclight Slamdance Cinema Club that is this coming Sunday and Monday at the Arclight in Hollywood, 8 o'clock at night. Sunday night, Huntington's Dance, uh, preceded by a short film, Into the Lion's Mouth. Uh, there will be a Q&A afterwards. I'll be moderating that. And apparently it's going to be a whole panel. So I love surprises. So, yeah, talking about Huntington's disease, which is yeah. very And the journey of this filmmaker, Chris Furby, um, whose mother was afflicted with the disease. And uh, he chronicled 18 years of the, her and the family's life. So very powerful, powerful documentary. Um, you can go to the Arclight uh, website, get all the information on that. And we'll be doing uh, some ticket giveaways for that. So anybody that is interested, uh, I still don't have the specifics, but if you email us at BehindTheLensRadio at AOL.com, uh, we'll get back to you with how you can get tickets, not only for this particular uh, cinema club, but for future months to come. Yes. So... Now, getting back... And Arclight is the best theaters. They really are the best theaters, aren't they? Arclight is... I love the whole black box auditorium. Mm -hmm. They really... They cut down on light. There is no reflection or refraction coming back up. And they're very good at policing people that turn their phones on (laughs) during a film. And Kit's making a face here, so I hope it's not a way of, like, pleading guilty. No, no, No. I'm good. No, I think it's very... uh... Very poor form to uh, yeah. get on your phone there, yeah. But the beautiful thing about Arclight is with all the food cafes they have in there and the full bars, and you can take your drink and your food into the theater yeah. with you. It's awesome. So it's phenomenal. So getting back to... Uh, yeah, Insidious. Insidious 3. <laughs> yes, we just jump all over the place here. Uh, you know, we've heard, you know, Jason Blum has been talking about, you know, creating and making... You know, what went into it, the considerations of Lee Wanell stepping in to direct after he'd written all three of the films now, Chapter 1, Chapter 2, and now Chapter 3. And, you know, as anyone who has seen the movie or if you go see the movie, you will realize, yes, Lee Wanell was more than ready to direct yes. this film. But, you know, and with it, part of the problem, what, part of the concern was how do you stay true to the franchise but create, put your own stamp on it? So I asked Jason about that when we sat down for an exclusive one-on-one, and here's what he had to say. Well, Lee, it wasn't, I wouldn't say concerns, but Lee was very um, uh, determined that the movie looked different than, 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 one and, than one and two, and he wanted it, he just wanted the look and feel of the movie to be different. And I think it's his prerogative since he was directing, I don't think he wanted to like copy James I think he mm-hmm. wanted to put his own stamp on it and uh, and we were happy about that we had a different DP this through John Leonetti shot shot one and two and, and we had a different DP for this movie and uh, well, we, encur- we encouraged him to do that but it was a conscious decision that he made he's mm-hmm. like I really don't want it to look like the first two movies and we said great do what you want to do and I think uh, Lee definitely succeeded yeah you know it feels it is definitely part of the franchise 
but it has its own stamp. Mm-hmm. But of course, the key to this whole franchise boils down to the one and only Lin Shay. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the best characters to come around in a while, I think, Elise. She's just uh and she just completely embodies that character. It's it's amazing. She she really does. And because of the significance of Lynn, you know, I had to ask Jason. So, you know, what you know, how important is it to have Lynn? Can you do an insidious without her? It's vital. She's the heart. No Lynn, no, 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 yeah, no Lynn, no insidious. It's vital, vital, vitally important. And, and uh, what Lynn, I think, is great at is she's great at uh, saying lines that when you read on the page, you're like, how's anyone going to believe that? You know what I mean? She's like, and the, the further with the, this and that, like saying all these things that are really unbelievable, and uh-huh. she makes them really believable. She's really, she's very credible as a, um, as an expert in the further and as an expert in, uh, in um, supernatural mythology, mm-hmm. which is very hard to do. Usually the person who does that in a movie, as you know, it's like yeah, really a big eye roll, and Lynn just sells it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's, you know. It's true. When she's, when you totally believe her, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, there's there's no question that, that you know, she's been there or whatever. It's She, she really makes it real. Well, and then a couple weeks after I talked to Jason with a sit-down one-on-one, we had a tiny little press conference just before the film opened, and Lynn happened was there. So I got to ask her, you know, how you go backwards with Elise and at the same time turn into a kick-ass action hero. Yep. And here is what Lynn Shea herself had to say. Well, I have to thank Lee Winnell primarily for all of that. Um, he, of course, originated the character to begin with. And as an actor, I always try and fill in my history. Um, you know, when you start in the middle of your life, you have to sort of build uh, build the character from the beginning for yourself, which we did. I did some of it with Lee and Angus when we started working on the first one. We got together to figure out where we had met, what our relationships were to each other. But I never dreamed of the soulful, it's very emotional for me actually, this very soulful woman um, that Lee constructed for this origin story and um, when I read it I, I was I even went deeper with it we talked about that a little bit about making her even more of a, in a depressed place and this kind of agoraphobia that had taken over her life um, which I think is a, a secret a lot of people hold inside that we don't discuss because you can get agoraphobic in a lot of different ways and at least kind of exemplifies that physically trying to get out of the depression she's in. So the origin that he wrote for me gave me a lot of places to go and then of course turning me into this beautifully brutal, <laughs> you know, hero really, I mean a real heroine was just such a treat for me. The, the curve of the character is brilliant and was the most fun I've ever had acting a role for real. Yeah, I mean, she makes the movie completely. Oh. I mean, you know, there's there's things that you see in her past, too, that was very touching. And, you know, like she's saying, kind of this emotional core to uh, to who this person was mm-hmm. is. And then, yeah, she's just like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm like, ah, oh, she sees some pretty she scary stuff. She sees some really <laughs> scary. And it was really fun because during the press conference she talked about, I don't know if you went through it, they have this insidious traveling experience i know no i did go through it at universal studios 
Halloween, the ha- Halloween Horror Nights. They had a oh. maze. Well, this is, well, this bad. is a whole, you know, it's it's a semi-trailer. Yeah. And it's all done. And Jason and Lee were actually regaling. And Lynn chimed in talking about they got her to go into it. And she's thinking, oh, this is going to be nothing. And she didn't really pay attention. They give you directions when you go in. Okay, when you get to here, you have to go right. And she's in there. And <laughs> they... and. To hear Jason and Lee talk, they're outside laughing because they hear her screaming inside, you know, fear, I mean, terror, because she she's trying to go left and she hadn't paid attention and she's really got to go right and go through the door on the right. And by the time she came out, Lynn herself said, you know, I was sobbing. I was so terrified. I, I was sobbing, which is so funny to hear her say that after you have seen her in these yeah. films yeah well you know it is an acting job after all so clearly if Girl. things are demons are coming over your shoulder i think any normal person would probably be any normal person but you know we never think of lynch as normal no. we, we think her as a as a superhero of course, of course. you know well talk about superheroes we've got whoops <laughs> i'm throwing things all over the place here um we've got another superhero a musical superhero mm-hmm. has a biopic out this week. Yeah. Brian Wilson, legendary Beach Boys. Um it, it just this is um this is just the film it is. It is a brilliant yeah. cinematic journey. Yeah, Love and Mercy. It's it's you know, it it chronicles Brian's um you know, when he started to have mental problems, mental issues, which was um, basically at the height of the Beach Boys right. fame. And when he was really creative and right. created pet sounds and, you know, the, these iconic uh, Beach Boy sounds, you know, the mm-hmm. turning the studio into an instrument itself. And yeah. Paul Dano plays him as a young man and John Cusack plays him uh, in the 80s when he is really suffering. Yeah. So we really see Paul as he, you know, the, as the genius rises mm-hmm. and the mental illness grows. And then we see John Cusack portraying Brian in some of the more publicized years in Mm -hmm. the 80s and early 90s um and his love story with his wife and his love story but you know but so much of this boils down to eugene landy um turned into huge court battles conservator battles um landy's uh he was a psychiatrist that basically took over uh brian wilson wheedled his way in took money charged the family his licensing was eventually revoked yep. by the state, and it turned into... Paul Giamatti plays him in the film, and he's, he's brilliant. Well, too. you know, <laughs> and we're, we're going to get to that in a quick sec here, um, because I talked to Oren Moverman about that and a tidbit that people didn't know about the film. So we'll hear that in a second. But first, you know, I talked with the producer, one of the producers of the film, uh, which is Claire Rudnick-Polstein, um, and how this came into her hands, because this is not a story to be taken lightly, and it's something that really does require care and nurturing. So this is what Claire had to say about how Love and Mercy came to her. Well, starting out, we had gotten it. The project was at Warner Independent, and the option was lapsing. And Jim Lefkowitz, who's an executive producer on the project, had brought us the project with the Wilsons at the time, and having several meetings with Melinda and Brian, talked about the movie and how we saw the movie and what we wanted to do with the film. And I think they trusted uh, John Wells, who's my partner and myself, to actually 
do you know work with them to realize what they want to do with the film. Then um, we developed it for a while and actually couldn't get the pieces properly together, which was actually made the film that we wanted all wanted to make. And we brought the film to River Road and Bill, who saw in it what we saw in it, and. Um, from there, uh, we found Oren, who actually had a brilliant take on the script, and developed it with Bill and River Road, and then Bill said, came to us and said, you know what, this is really terrific. And during the whole, throughout the whole process, we worked with the Wilsons, with both Brian and Melinda, and it was something that Bill appealed to Bill to direct, and Bill had such an amazing passion for the material and a great vision and a really clear way of how he wanted to present the film that we embraced it and kind of went from there. So that is how the film came to be, but part and parcel to that, and we mentioned Paul Giamatti's performance, Oren Moverman, an extensive researcher, and Oren put a lot of research into this film. And here's a tidbit. I know, Brian's... Are, are we going to have to hold this for next week? We have to hold it for next week? Oh, my God. But that's so, okay, because this movie is going to be one of those movies that slowly rolls out. That's just it. And it will be in a, a thousand more theater theaters this Friday. So next week, you can hear this. You won't be here to hear it, though, but you can listen. I will. You will come back? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was my God. Fun. I know. Well, <laughs> if you can't have fun, the heck with it. Right? So that is it. All She Wrote, Behind the Lens, Inside Out premieres uh, in Hollywood tonight, Stay Away from Hollywood, Jurassic, pa Jurassic World premieres tomorrow night, Stay Away from Hollywood, Los Angeles Film Festival premieres at LA Live down at the Regal on Wednesday, eh, you can come down. Um, so, yes. that about summarizes the movie week, we're going to talk about Inside Out next week and some of the great The Geometry Light uh, with producer Jonas Rivera, and of course the short that precedes that, Lava by Jim Murphy and I'm calling it now two Oscar winners for Inside Out Lava and we're going to see Oscar nods for Love and Mercy yeah absolutely absolutely so behind the lens we'll see you next week bye bye <laughs>